The 2010 season at the University of North Carolina was an emotional one. The NCAA had suspended a great number of players amid academic infractions. We ended the season, really a stellar season on the field, with T.J. Yates, our quarterback, who went on to play a number of years in the NFL, but with T.J. Yates beating the University of Tennessee in the Music City Bowl in Nashville, Tennessee. The 2010 season was amazing. It was remarkable. All these men had overcome. And after that season, I was offered a head coaching job. TJ's backup was a young man named Bryn Renner, who I'd recruited to come to North Carolina and absolutely loved. I really thought Bryn might be able to beat most of TJ's records, if not all of them. But I really wanted to be a head coach. As the decision to take the job was weighing on me, my wife, Marcia, asked me, what are you going to tell Bryn? How are you going to tell Bryn Renner, the quarterback that you recruited to come here, that you're leaving? I told her I couldn't. And so I turned down the head coaching job. And then eight days before the 2011 season, the University of North Carolina fired our head football coach, Butch Davis, and I knew that after the end of that season, the chances were I was going to be fired too. But in that spring of 2011, and in the fall of 2011, I recruited... I recruited one of the finest individuals I've ever met. I recruited 4.0 student, recruited the valedictorian, I recruited the two-time state champ, I recruited an unbelievable quarterback who I believed was going to be the number one pick of the NFL draft and lead North Carolina to a national championship. The thing is, I never got to coach this guy. This is the story of the best quarterback you never heard of. The best quarterback I ever recruited and why I never coached him. Never coached him a day in my life. Welcome to Going Deep, sports in the 21st century on Blue Ridge Public Radio. I'm Dr. Marsha Mount Shoot. And I'm Coach John Shoot. John's coached at the highest levels of the game of football for 26 years. And Marcia is an author, theologian, and minister. And we're glad you've joined us to go deep into some of the most pressing issues of our time. On Going Deep, we go beyond the sound bites and highlight reels. Hi, I'm Matt Bush, the producer of Going Deep, and in this episode, we go into our archives to bring you a previously two-part show from October 2018, one where John and Marcia tell you the story of the greatest quarterback you never knew. The story that we're about to hear and the person we're about to encounter 
um, on Going Deep is it's not a tragedy. It's not a story that has a sad ending. But it, it is a story that brings to the surface a lot of the ways that the NCAA and um, collegiate revenue sports conspire against meaningful life-giving relationships. This story is not the same kind of story you see in the student-athlete documentary on HBO where players are sleeping in their cars and um, living in poverty. This is the story of a young man who has a lot of internal and external resources. He's made, he's made lemonade out of lemons, really. But part of what I hope our listeners will listen for in this story is all of the missed opportunities. Things could have been different. Things could have been better. And um, not only did the University of North Carolina miss an opportunity, but um, Patton has missed opportunities. Patton Robinette has missed opportunities because of the way collegiate sports works. In addition to Patton having missed some opportunities, mm. I got to say, I felt like I missed an we opportunity. Did. Yeah. We did. We did. I really thought this was as good of a player as I had ever recruited. And I was really anxious to see how good we could get together. Yeah. I thought we were going to be a formidable pair. And I'm really sad that I missed that opportunity and that the University of North Carolina missed an opportunity to have a guy like this in their community. I'm Patton Robinette. I'm, uh, I'm currently a uh, fourth-year medical student at the Vanderbilt University School of Medicine in Nashville, Tennessee, uh, applying for a job as an orthopedic surgeon next year. Well, welcome to Going Deep, Patton. We're so glad to get to sit down and have a conversation with you um, after all these years. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm excited. Hey, can we go back to your high school career? Now, Maryville High School in Tennessee is one of the premier high school football programs really in the country. I mean, what a great school. You won multiple state championships there, and we kind of developed a relationship while I was at North Carolina as the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach. Could you talk to us a little bit about the process you were going through uh, in recruiting, and how you ended up choosing North Carolina before we get into what happened, ultimately landing you at Vanderbilt. I had a I had an interesting recruitment. Uh, like you said, Maribel, pretty strong football tradition, uh, especially at quarterback. I don't know if there's ever been a lot of not a lot of guys go on to the Division One level, but there's a lot of really really good players that that. Uh, that come through there, especially when Coach Corals, who's now the offensive coordinator at Furman, was the head coach. Uh, and the guy in front of me there, Philip Uline, now he's the starting quarterback for the Swedish national football team and all this other cool stuff. So I didn't really get to play much until I was a, a, a junior. So unlike all these guys who were, were four-year starters and throughout high school, I, I got a pretty late start. Uh, I had a pretty good year my junior year. Got some good film on tape, and we sent it out. And 
really wasn't expecting much, but got some invites to various things and, you know, about combines and whatnot. And then about January of going into my senior year, things just really started to blow up. Vanderbilt started calling. I got calls from Florida State and Notre Dame, places that I hadn't even, you know, thought about. I was really thinking I was just going to end up going to an Ivy League school or uh, something like that to play ball. But then all these these big programs started showing interest, and I'm I'm a pretty reserved guy off the field and wasn't used to having a lot of attention and things like that, so it took a lot of getting used to. I really didn't like the recruiting process that much. I thought it was a lot of, uh, you know, coaches blowing a lot of, a lot of smoke pumping these high school kids up to, to be something they're not. And that didn't really sit well with me. So That's very observant of you. <laughs> I, think, I think that's very uh, in, a good insight. Hey, wait a second. I was one of those guys. <laughs> it's part of the job. I mean, that, that's what you have to do. There's a lot of, a lot of intense, kids that want though. that. It is intense. Well, it is. You certainly did have what I thought were a lot of options from schools like Harvard to SEC and ACC schools that you mentioned. And people talk a lot about why football players choose schools. And the NCAA wants to say, well, they choose this school because not because of a coach, but because they're going to that school or they like that school. But I don't think that's altogether true. And certainly... We started to forge a relationship, or at least I felt like, golly, this is one guy that I really want to coach. How can we get him at North Carolina? That's where I, that's where I was headed next. Uh, Go on. I remember getting a, a call. I think it was from Coach Mogridge first who was really interested and I knew what I wanted out of a, a school and it wasn't just a place to, to play football. You know, I wanted, eventually I wanted to go to medical school. Um, even after at that time, a, a hopeful NFL career, I, I still wanted to do that. And I wanted to be prepared to pursue that dream. Cause that was another dream of mine. And I wanted a school that could help me fulfill both those dreams. So when North Carolina comes calling, that carried a lot of weight with it. You're talking about a place with what I thought was, at, at that time, and still do think it's a, it's a great place to have kind of the best of both worlds at, available to the to the student athlete. You know, you can get a, a world class degree and, and play football at a or basketball or whatever sport at a, a great uh, athletic program. So. North Carolina comes calling, and I immediately piqued my interest. Came down to to visit you guys, and you know, you and I spoke on the phone a lot, and really just fell in love with the idea of you being my coach. Uh, you, all the things that I wanted to hear about a, a program and a an offensive coordinator and a quarterback coach, you said all those things, and I knew you meant it. I knew you were sincere about it. So it was really a no brainer when I got the the offer to to, to be a Tar Heel play under Coach Shoup at, at North Carolina. There was, uh, there was no way I was going to turn that down. I mean, I remember all of that unfolding and how, what a perfect fit it seemed like you were for North Carolina. Like, just, you had all of the 
the aspects of what a place like that needed, wanted, and could really nurture and help an athlete like you thrive, not just as an athlete, but as a student. It it felt really providential, like, oh, yeah, this is a really good fit. It's a really good fit. Your personality, your work ethic, your ability, and your aspiration to to get a good education. I can remember sitting down with my son, Sid, who's now a freshman in college, but sitting down with my son, Sid, and in the 2011 season, your senior year, we had a bye week, and Sid and I drove out to Maryville, Tennessee, to watch you play football one weekend. And I can remember, I told Sid, I want you to come with me because I want you to see how this guy carries himself. I want you to see, I've, I've never recruited a guy who I think is as good of a player and as fine of a leader and citizen as this guy is, and I want you to be around him. That's what I thought whenever I took my son oh, out man. there to Maryville. You're making me blush, Coach. <laughs> well, we're on the radio. No one can see it. Okay. No one can see it. <laughs> but, see, that's one yeah. of the things that I think also um, is just really remarkable about you is your your humility. You know, you say you're a reserved guy, but also you're just not – you know, you're just not really trying to toot your own horn. You're kind of taking care of business, which I've been married to John for 23 years. That's kind of that's the kind of player he likes. He doesn't like yeah, one yeah. who's like there to be like, hey, I'm great, everybody. But just well, be great. <laughs> well, now, now let's keep moving forward in the process, because talk about recruiting. I mean, you got stuck in some of the most uh, what unethical or those some of the worst recruiting i don't know what the word would be messes in the history of recruiting messes so going into your senior season to mm-hmm. the 2011 season and the carolina tar heels are going into the 2011 season eight days before we're to begin training camp our head football coach butch davis is fired and you and I are deep into the courtship I don't know exactly when you decided to come to North Carolina or not come to it but both of us are now like okay what's going to be next because when Butch Davis gets fired basically I got to coach this entire season knowing I'm 99.9% going to be fired at the end of the season And where did that put you? And do you remember finding out that Butch was fired and kind of the limbo that we were both placed in? I I do remember that. I can't remember if it was Coach Corals or my mom or my dad that was the the first to tell me. Uh, I remember when the whole scandal broke out, the academic scandal, and thinking, oh, man, this is probably not a good look. But, you know, it doesn't seem like this will affect the football team that much. And then obviously coach Davis got fired and that was, that was tough. I I had already committed at that point. I was, I remember sitting in with you and coach Davis in the football offices in Chapel Hill and getting the offer. And I was ready to commit right on the spot. And my dad wouldn't let me. He's like, no, we're going to think about this. We're going to drive home. We're going to do this the right way, which, you know, my dad very steadfast and always, knows the right thing to do was right, but 
when we got home, I was still ready to commit to, to North Carolina and you and Coach Davis. So all those, all those good feelings were gone in an instant because I knew that the place that I had committed to was no longer the same. And I also knew that more than likely at the end of the year that you were not going to be around. But I knew there was a chance you would be, and you and I had talked about that. We had talked about, you know, there was a chance that the new coach could keep you on, and there was a chance that you could be the, the next head guy at, at, at UNC. And, you know, to me at that point, that was enough knowing that there was a chance that you would be there and knowing the kind of opportunities that I would have had at a place like Carolina was more than enough to, to keep me committed and really excited about being a Tar Heel. Yeah. I will say my mom and dad were, they were like, you know, maybe we should look at other places, things like that. But, you know, I was, I was very much all about Carolina, even just to exemplify that, I ended up going to Vanderbilt. My visited Vanderbilt during that season. Didn't even want to go because I was like, I'm not doing that, Mom. I'm a, I'm committed to North Carolina. I'm committed to Coach Shoop. I'm not going to go visit Vandy. That doesn't sit well with me. And they convinced me to go. And I still didn't like it because I was a, at that time, I was a, a Tar Heel guy. <laughs> Felt wrong to be there. But, yeah. you know, just kind of how it was. remember that from our end too just how heartbreaking that was in terms of our emotional roller coaster that we were on you were a really big part of that for us like you coming to North Carolina you feeling like such a great fit it felt like one of those things were like this can't be happening because this there's so many good things happening how can this bad thing be happening and part of what kind of kept us hopeful and believing that something good could work out at North Carolina for us was you that that just felt like such a good fit I can remember sitting in our house and tears you know about that just kind of really feeling like we have to trust that that good things are ahead because there's so many signs that this is a good this is a good fit from our end, I feel like your your heartbreak was something that really impacted us as well and how that whole experience felt to us. Well, I can remember after your senior season, I was still coaching at North Carolina because we were getting ready for a bowl game. Mm-hmm. But I kind of could see the light and knew they were going to hire a different coach and our whole staff was going to be gone. And I went and watched you win the state championship at Tennessee tech. And I think the next week I came and visited you and your parents in your home. Mm -hmm. And I can remember us sitting there talking, having one of the most honest and gut wrenching conversations I've ever had because I was saying to you, you need to go look at other places. I don't think I'm going to be there. And we talked a lot about Vanderbilt University and the fact that my brother, Bob Shoot, was the (laughs) defensive coordinator there. I said, no, I can't promise you he's ever going to 
coach you a lick, but at least there's going to be a guy named Shoop there that I'll call him and do whatever I got to do if things aren't going right for you. Do you remember that conversation? And then if you could walk us through just kind of how you went to North Carolina and then to Vanderbilt. Right. I do remember that conversation. That was tough. I think that was the last, that was the last time we spoke as offensive coordinator and yeah. quarterback recruit to come in at, at, at UNC because the next time I was visited by a coach from UNC, it was the the next staff. But I, that was one of the the coach. That was one of the funniest. Taking a step back, one of the funniest things about my recruitment was my two top schools, Vandy and UNC. And on either side, I was being recruited by. <laughs> one of the shoot brothers. Shoot, yeah. <laughs> what, what, it was a shoot sandwich. What, what 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 made me so mad was I read in Sports Illustrated a little bit later that Bob Shoop beat out John Shoop in the recruitment <laughs> of a star quarterback. I called my brother and said, "That's the biggest BS I've ever heard." I gave you, this, you know. best part about it was I remember looking up in the stands in the state championship game at Tennessee Tech and we'd won the game and I look up and it's you and your brothers sitting next to each other next to my family and I just that 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 still makes me laugh <laughs> uh, still makes me laugh yeah but but uh, I remember you coming to the house talking to me and mom and dad and then uh, at that time you know we had taken your advice about opening things up because we just didn't know and wanted to have all our bases covered. So Coach Franklin and Coach Ronnie and the rest of the staff at Vandy had, had come down. Coaches at Iowa had come down. I don't know if you can remember. Kurt Ferentz, uh, for sure. That's right. That's right. My mom still thinks Kurt Ferentz is just the greatest human being on the place of the earth just from that one visit. He's a fine man. He had at our house. Great guy. Uh, but then the 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 hammer drops and we find out that you know you're not going to be at the University of North Carolina for sure it's a done deal and I was I was distraught you know I at that point I everything in my closet was Carolina blue I was you know getting ready to move to Chapel Hill in two weeks and start class and yeah you were a mid year uh, enrollee and so you were was, going uh, in in January that's right I you know tried to graduate a year early because I wanted to I graduated a semester early excuse me because I wanted to get over there and you know start diving into the playbook with you and Bryn Renner mm. uh, and you know that was that was gone in an instant that was that was gone that just wasn't going to happen at least not the way that I had pictured it in my mind uh, and they hired the next staff they had recruited me at their previous school so had wanted me to to come to, to still come to North Carolina, uh, but I wasn't sure. You know, that was my whole image, the whole way that I felt about that place changed the instant that you were let go. Because I whole, wholeheartedly say it that you were probably the biggest reason I committed to UNC. I mean, the the institutional things were great, the athletic programs, the academic programs were great, but the big reason I wanted to be there was because I wanted to be coached by you because I felt like you and I had the same priorities and that was you know football is really important but there's also other things that are really important too uh 
and all that was gone. I had to make a decision in two weeks where I wanted to go to school for the next, you know, three to five years. And it was probably one of the hardest two weeks of my life. Uh, at least at that time, it felt like it was. Lost a lot of weight. Was you know staying up all night, just thinking to myself, "What am I going to do? What am I going to do?" And uh, could not come to a decision. You know, on one side, I felt like I had, even though you had gone, I felt like I had committed to UNC, and I needed to honor that commitment, even though it wasn't the same UNC I had committed to. Then on the other side. Uh, I really liked Iowa, but I didn't really think at that time I wanted to live in the Midwest. So it was about Vandy, and Vandy was a very similar program to UNC academically. Coach Franklin and his staff were really, you know, on the up and up with the football side of things, and uh, it was it seemed like it was going to be a great place. So I struggled with that for a while, and ultimately, my it came down to move-in weekend in Chapel Hill, and I still hadn't made up my mind. And My dad was like, well, we're just going to go to Chapel Hill. Uh, we're not going to bring any of our stuff. We're just going to go. It's going to be like a visit. We're going to meet with the new staff, make a decision there. But you haven't been there in so long. You need to go see it one more time. So we did. We piled in the car, me, mom, and dad drove to Chapel Hill for a basketball game. I remember sitting next to to Bryn Renner in the stands talking about things and talking about you and how even though it was different, it was still Carolina. But, you know, to me, it didn't feel that way. I knew that, but my mom and dad, I think, were kind of, at that point, pushing for me to stay just because they wanted me to honor my commitment. I I understood that. The next day, I uh, signed a scholarship agreement, was getting stuff in my dorm ready to go, and just knew in the pit of my stomach that I, I just didn't want to be there, that it was not where I wanted to spend the next three to five years. And there was nothing wrong with the new staff. There was nothing wrong with anything about North Carolina. It's just things had changed from what I wanted at North Carolina. And you weren't there and it just didn't feel the same to me. So I called my mom and said, Mom, I just can't do this. I can't. I can't be here. This is a great place, but I need to. This isn't where I want to be. I, I, I need to go to Vanderbilt. So mm. I ran from the. I think it was the Academic Sports Center. I literally ran. I was already I already had keys to my dorm. Put my keys to the dorm in the <laughs> in the dorm. Ran to my mom and dad's car, and we got out of there because we knew I had to get off campus before midnight, or else I was going to be stuck there because classes had started. And then we hopped in the car and went to Vandy. Wow. But first. And, to my dad's credit, you know, he's very, we're going to do things the right way. He made me call the new head coach and tell him exactly what I was doing. That was really hard. That was really hard. But ultimately, I made the right decision.
we left Pat and Robinette running off the UNC Chapel Hill campus so that he wouldn't be there on the first day of class and his NCAA eligibility would be intact for him to play at another Division I school. Remember that this story, as we continue our conversation with Patton, is not a tragedy, although there are many of those in the story of NCAA revenue sports and colleges across this country. But this is a story that captures a deep truth about the way NCAA regulations and rules and that just the ethos created on college campuses work. This is a story that shows us in clear relief how the NCAA conspires against meaningful relationships and strong communities. When you choose a school, you choose a school based on relationships that you forge with people. You know, you were never going to go to a school that wasn't a high academic school, you know, because you're an incredibly bright young man and you wanted to get to med school. But you choose schools based on relationships with people that you meet, whether it's Alan Mogridge, Bryn Renner, our quarterback, and our relationship. And I, too, invest feelings deeply in that relationship. And when when these schools just fire coaches willy-nilly and without even thinking and then expect young 17-year-old, 18-year-old young men to stick to these decisions, it just, it's gut-wrenching for me. And if you remember when you went to Vanderbilt, One of the things that I said to you, or or before you went to Vanderbilt, but in that conversation in our house, one of the things that I said is, you know, so our listeners know, I have masters from Vanderbilt. Marsha has a masters from Vanderbilt. We love Vanderbilt. My brother was coaching there. But one of the things I said to you is, I think that head coach, James Franklin, is really looking to move on. Yeah. Vanderbilt does not have a rich tradition of football. They have a tradition, and it's okay, but... Hey, Vander- you're a better coach. Come on. Well, Come on. Well, now... <laughs> hey, had some moments. Th- this is important yeah. to remember. Your, right. your redshirt freshman year is the only time Vanderbilt has ever beaten Georgia, Florida, and Tennessee in the same year. And so I, from afar, am watching now this this freshman quarterback that I've got feelings invested in as well elevate this program to it to to heights that it's never been, and then my heart breaks because I know things are about to change for you again. Yeah. So can you walk us through that red shirt freshman year at Vanderbilt? You put down a 9-4 and four record in the SEC, which Vanderbilt had never done before, and you're engineering some of the biggest wins in the school history, and then the coach leaves again because 
in his estimation, he leaves for bigger, greener pastures. If football was, it was bigger, greener pastures. I That's mean, true. Well, but first, I was, those are some pretty kind words. I I was on those teams that did really well. I don't know if I was the one, you know, making all the plays, but uh, we we had some good teams when I was at Vandy, and uh, it was it was a fun. It was fun to be a part of it and, and be at a place that hadn't, like you said, had much strong football tradition, and to to turn that around and you know be some be two really really good teams. Uh, both my freshman and retro freshman years, it was a lot of fun. But uh, no, we 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 all knew, uh, and that was about Coach Franklin, and you know I. I would never say a bad word about Coach Franklin. He gave me an unbelievable opportunity at Vanderbilt and was always supportive of my athletic and academic dreams and never asked me to compromise them. Um, so can't speak ill of him. He was great. But we all knew, even when we signed on the dotted line to come to Vandy, that you know he was such a uh, a rising star in the coaching ranks and obviously the work that he and your brother did at Vandy to to elevate the program. We knew that it was probably only a matter of time, no matter what they they told us about um, staying. Uh, but it still it was it was tough. I remember we after that great season we had we we beat uh, Georgia at home, Florida in the swamp for the first time since the forties, I think, and then beat Tennessee in, in Knoxville, which was a real treat for me being a, a someone who grew up right outside Knoxville and especially I don't know if you remember that game coach but I got to got to score the winning touchdown in that game with 10 seconds left in the fourth yeah. quarter that was probably aside from getting into medical school and marrying my wife probably one of my <laughs> my top three greatest moments in my life that was incredible I, I remember it vividly, and I followed your career a lot closer than, yeah. than probably you'd be comfortable knowing. <laughs> yeah, I think we were always happy to hear like about good things. We were so glad you were having some good memories and some success, and that you, you know, you were able to do what you wanted to do. Um, we were, I mean, we we have. We were in this business for a long time, and we had some hard knocks. But the part that I would not trade for anything are the relationships. And so we root right. for people. We we don't. There is not one team I root for in this universe anymore. You know, I just I root for people. And so I I just we always rooted for Pat and Robinette. I mean, wherever whatever was happening for you. We wanted it to go well for you, and we were always so happy when we'd hear or see um, something going well for you. Yeah, you know, but it's a complicated feeling. I was happy on one hand, but there's a part of me, too, that was just hurt me so bad. To see such a great player having such remarkable success. I mean, really, what you did in that 2013 season at Vanderbilt, 
I don't think that'll ever be duplicated. And and you're right, Marsh. We were happy, honest to goodness. And in the bottom of my heart, I was happy. But it also kind of makes me sad that in the honest moments with myself, yeah. I also think I should be coaching that son of a gun right now. <laughs> you know, but you were never mad at Pat. No, 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 I, mean, I we wasn't. Were mad but at the but, system, but the it, system. There is... was there was a a great deal of happiness, but there was real pain as well. Oh, heck watching yeah. you score that touchdown, I remember it vividly. You ran it in, watching you score that touchdown, and then knowing that that coach is going to leave. That's yeah. you're, you're going through another coaching change. And in my heart, you know, I know you had great players and you had great teams. In my heart, you were one of the real reasons that guy now gets to move on. Yeah. And, and I think, too, like, I don't fault coaches for doing that stuff either, even though we – we didn't always make that choice when we had the opportunity. I understand why coaches do that. That sure. is how the system works, and that is how you keep moving. I think sometimes the fact that we didn't make that decision in John's career did have an adverse effect. The fact that we as Christians, as people who invest in relationships, said, you know what, we're going to stay here because we care about these people did not right. help his career. So it's 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 there's ambiguity there it's, in kind of what's right sure. and wrong. Kind of the next thing I'd like to talk about is the coaching change that you went through then at Vanderbilt with Coach Mason coming in. I mean, you've hit every kind of topic hot topic in college football because you get injured and you are out five games with a concussion uh, when he comes in. And then you have to make a decision in terms of being able to play big-time football and balance the academics in a way that you want to. And so if we can kind of hit through that coaching transition, the injury, and then the decision of how to balance these uh, things. So if you could maybe kind of start with the whole process of now Franklin is gone and talk us through the transition with the new coach. Uh, again, in, in some ways, from Butch Davis to the interim head coach at North Carolina, Everett Withers, to James Franklin, to Kevin Mason, well, Larry to Fedora. even Lara Fedora, in some ways you're fifth head coach and you're only a sophomore. <laughs> in some ways. It certainly felt that way. We had the, the big win against UT, and like you said, you could see the writing on the wall. I don't, I don't know if we could. Uh, I think we all were a bit naive, and you know, really wanted to think that he wanted to stick around Vandy, and that he saw that you know we could be a great program, and uh, ended up going to a bowl game, played Houston in the Compass Bowl in Birmingham. I, I only remember that game because I remember I did not play well. But uh, we still won. Like I said, we had some great players who uh, picked up the team, and we got the, the I think only the fourth or fifth bowl win in our school's illustrious football history. Uh, <laughs> and then the rumors you. started flying. The man, I, mean, I think the rumors actually started while we were preparing for that game. So I think at that point, Texas had just fired Mac Brown, and we're looking for their next head coach and. 
a lot of our guys were on Twitter and all about that stuff and always following the rumors. And there was a lot of rumors floating around that James Franklin was going to be the next head coach at Texas. And I remember thinking to myself and my close friends on the team were talking about it like, man, this, this stinks. You know, we're going to play this game. And then, you know, what if he just, what if he leaves? What if he goes to Texas? We're right back at, at square one with a new staff. He didn't take that job or he didn't get offered that job. And it ultimately went to Charlie Strong, I believe. Uh, where you're like, well, maybe it'll be okay. Maybe he'll stay. And then we started hearing about Penn State. That one, that was when it really started to to worry us, I think, because we knew he was from Pennsylvania, went to school there, had a long, a lot of strong ties to the state, and you know, as far as a school that invests a lot in its football program, Penn State is, has got to be up there and a great tradition, hard to beat it. And I, I still think in my heart of hearts and and hope that he meant it when he said it, but. He told us that, you know, he was considering the job, but really only because he wanted to use it as leverage to get us and Vanderbilt football better things. And I, I think we all really hoped that that was the, the case, but uh, I think the less naive members of the team were like, I don't know about this, guys. I think, I think this is it. I think he's going to take this job. It's a great fit for him and his family uh, and for what he wants to do. I think at that point he was a little bit frustrated with Vanderbilt's uh, commitment to football. It was a Saturday morning, and we I think some somebody had read on Twitter or one of the social medias that. He had taken the job at Penn State, and I remember getting a, they had this service, a, a blast text service. They would text something, and it would go to every member of the team. And uh, we got a text saying, team meeting uh, tomorrow morning in the, the, the film theater that we, I mean, we knew at that point. And we uh, showed up to the meeting, and you know they told us they the staff was moving to, to Penn State. They had taken this new job, and everyone was really emotional. They were emotional. I think a lot of the, the coordinators and position coaches were emotional because I think a lot of them really loved Nashville. I mean, Nashville's a great town. I, I would argue it's one of the best towns in the country right now. And yeah. I don't think they, a lot of them didn't want to leave, but yeah. kind of had to. You know, they they had a new to. job. As I listen to your story, like all these people involved are good people. It's not like somebody's, you know, a bad person, but it's amazing that your heart stayed in it. Like you stayed ready to like, okay, we're behind, but we're going to, we're going to make this happen. We're going to give this a shot. I mean, that, that's pretty remarkable. That kind of resilience is. It didn't feel very resilient at the time. I think we all Hmm. felt a little defeated. Yeah. Especially, you know, we all love Coach Franklin, and we all love that whole staff. Your 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 brother included, and them leaving that it hurts. It hurt. It did. Yeah. And and again, it's a business. We understood why he did it. 
but it still hurts. It is, it does hurt. It's like a um, it's a big loss. Like I remember the times that John cut fired places, and then other people were coaching the players that we loved. It, it felt like a divorce. It felt like somebody took our kids away from us or right. something. It's really it hurts. It well, hurts a lot. You know, you said the words. It's a business. It's a business yeah. for everybody, but the young men that are getting drugged through this just in unfair ways, you know, in unfair ways. And so if you can, you know, in the 2014 season, then the team didn't start off great. And as you said, you were a little bit behind the eight ball, but then I also know you got injured. And if you could talk about just that season and the injury a little bit and kind of where that left you. That was undoubtedly my the hardest season of football because it all it started out with you know such hope we knew we were we had got a late start but you know we had worked really really hard all off season all during the spring all during camp uh, we thought we were ready to go and you know the guys that I came in with that I was recruited with at Vanderbilt to Vanderbilt in my class we had never had a losing season we were uh, we had went nine and four nine and four. And, won two bowl games we were not used to to losing and didn't want to lose nobody wants to lose but we certainly didn't want to we weren't going to let all the the work we had put in under coach franklin to to build up this program go to waste the new staff brought in a guy from uh lsu steven rivers philip rivers younger brother he's just another great guy to be some some quarterback competition we had a, a a really touted guy in the class below me named Johnny McCreary, who was uh, just a, a heck of a football player, too. And I brought in uh, two young guys, two freshmen, who were, were both very talented. So we felt really good about the, the quarterback room going into the season and knew it was going to be a competition. The job wasn't just going to be handed to me because I had had success the, the prior year. Uh, I got named the starter, I think, a week, two weeks prior to the our first game, which was against Temple on a Thursday night in Nashville. Uh, and we're fired up, we're ready to go. And then we, there was this, I remember there was a rain delay, a storm delay, and we were supposed to start the game at 7. And I don't think we ended up starting the game until about 10 o'clock. I still believe, and I, I don't know what happened, but that just took all the wind out of our sails. And we came out and just as a team just did not play well. And I think a lot of that fell on me. I think I was three for four, three for five, but you know the offense just wasn't running like it it should have been running. And on one play, I had tweaked my knee a little bit, but you know not not terribly, not enough to where I couldn't play through it if I needed to be. And I think the staff at that point made the decision that they wanted some fresh blood, try to you know jumpstart things. So uh, I took a step back, took a step off the field, and can't remember who came in to take my place, but. It didn't work either, and we got stomped by Temple. I don't even know if we we didn't score a touchdown because I remember I scored the first touchdown of the season for Vanderbilt three or four weeks later because uh, we just could not get it done on offense. But then the next week we play South Carolina at home, uh, have a kickoff return for a touchdown on the first play. I throw a touchdown pass to to go up fourteen to nothing, but. Three plays prior to that touchdown pass, I had taken off on a run down the middle and gotten flipped by one of South Carolina's big safeties. 
and landed on my head and uh, immediately knew something was was wrong. I'd had concussions before, but so I knew kind of the symptoms. But at that point, I was young and dumb and wanted to keep playing, so I kind of tried to shake myself out of it. And I remember being a guy interested in medicine. I knew the signs that the people on the sidelines were looking for and made sure that I was not going to show them that I was exhibiting those signs when I was on the field during that drive. But I will say, when I threw the touchdown pass to go to send us up two scores, the receiver I was going to throw it to, I saw three of him. <laughs> and I just threw it at the middle one. Wow. Luckily, that was the right one. He caught it, scored. But then I came to the sideline, and they had saw me shaking my head, so I hadn't hit it well enough. Did the sideline test and took me to the locker room. We ended up losing that game, and I was out for five, six weeks. That was uh, not how I expected my first full season as a starter to start or go. It was tough. It was really tough. I think some of the things people don't realize when collegiate players suffer a concussion is they think, well, gosh, you're out of the game for five or six weeks. They're not going to see you on the field. Can you talk about what your life was like here in pre-med, trying to study, trying to keep up with all of that while you're suffering from a pretty severe concussion? That was, that was really hard. It was really hard. Because the the things we do to study now, you know, it's all on a computer or a tablet or things like that, and that's we know that's one of the things that really keeps you from shutting your brain off and healing from a concussion. So I couldn't I couldn't study. I couldn't do anything. I remember I had to withdraw from one or two classes because I just I could not do uh, do the work. I was physically unable to. And uh, one of the teachers was very understanding, and one of them was not very understanding at all, which was unfortunate. It was even more unfortunate because she was the wife of one of the head coaches in the Vanderbilt Athletic Department. So mm. um, I would hope that she would have been more understanding, but was not. But, you know, you have to miss a lot of class because physically can't go, can't practice. So you're separated from your entire sports system and your team. I remember we have our weight room looked over out, out over our practice field. And I remember sitting in our weight room with shades on in a window, just watching practice because they wouldn't let me go outside rightfully. That was the right decision to make, but it was a very lonely time and it was a very difficult time. I, I couldn't do, I couldn't be with my team and I couldn't study the way I wanted. I knew I needed to, to, to make the grades. One of the reasons that we're no longer coaching in college anymore is that I didn't necessarily feel like while we were at Purdue, I, I didn't feel like we did everything that we could when a player for players that did have concussions or that we did everything that we could to prevent to concussions. Prevent. And certainly the game of football, I think right now, is not doing everything that it can to prevent them. I certainly recognize it's a, a violent and physical game and bad things can happen anytime, anywhere. We've been on a mission to try to make the game safer and there's a lot of resistance well the picture that you paint though is it's not just saturdays 
you know, Vanderbilt football was not just suffering because Patton wasn't on the field on Saturdays. The students are suffering. This is Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. You're dropping out of classes and you're planning to go to med school and, you know, you're not allowed to look at a screen. I've seen so many young men that have just had to sit in their room for weeks at a time in a dimly lit room because they suffered concussions and some of which I know will happen, but some of which, son of a gun, we can do something to prevent these. As we finish up then, talk about your decision as you're trying to marry now, you, you, you find out you get accepted to med school at Vanderbilt. Right. You still have two years of eligibility left to play right. football at Vanderbilt. How do you balance uh, academics in big-time football and the risks of serious brain injury? Well, I, my, my master plan going into that final season I'd taken the MCAT. I applied to medical school. That mainly just because I wanted to get it out of the way. Uh, my my plan was to get accept, hopefully get accepted to medical school that year, and then a lot of schools will allow you to defer for one or two years to do other things, and they'll just hold a spot for you, which was my plan. I was gonna get in somewhere, hopefully defer and stay at Vanderbilt for my final two seasons of eligibility and work on either a, a master's degree of some sort, some sort of an MPH or an MBA, something like that. Uh, but then the injury thing happened, and the concussions happened. In the spring, this was before, might have even been during spring practice, I was practicing with the team preparing to come back and be the starter for the next year. And then I get this wonderful phone call that, you know, one of the big reasons that Vanderbilt was so attractive to me was this medical school. And here I've been accepted to the, the Vanderbilt University School of Medicine. Just, just wow, an, an unbelievable opportunity. But I've still with teams, still practicing to, to be the guy. It really made me sit back and think, what do I want? What do I want out of this? Am I still thinking that I want to pursue a professional career? Is that even going to be an option for me? Here I have one of my dreams literally being handed to me in the form of an acceptance letter. Um, Is it worth saying no to in order to 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 keep pursuing this other dream. And I think ultimately that's what made my decision. I, I was concerned about the concussion stuff, but ultimately my I I knew that my future lay in medicine and that uh, even though I love football so much, still miss it every day. Every time I see a, a Vanderbilt player strap on that black and gold, man, it makes me Excited it makes me wish I was out there with them, but I knew that it was time for me to to move on and pursue a, another dream. And so I remember walking into my post spring evaluation meeting with the whole staff. Uh, we had had our spring game the week before. I'd done really well, and I think that was the hard part for me because they were expecting me to come back and and be the guy. 
there was not going to be any of this quarterback shuffling like there had been a year before, largely due to injuries on my on my part. But I walked into the meeting and said, I've been given this unbelievable opportunity to pursue a lifelong dream, not just a dream of the next two, three, four years. This is something I'm going to be doing for the rest of my life, and I can't turn it down. I, I've, I've got to take it. morning I went and told my teammates which was probably one of the hardest conversations I've ever had uh, I still feel bad about it some part of me still feels like I you know quit on my team but I think ultimately it was it was the right time for me to move past football and move toward my passion and my career as a hopeful future surgeon I mean again I just I'm really struck with your self-awareness your your ability to stop and really go into yourself, into your self-awareness, your self-consciousness, and say, like, what is this about for me? What, what is it that, that's really calling to me right now? And being able to make a difficult decision that, that maybe isn't the most popular or maybe isn't the thing that some people think you should do. I mean, that's really a remarkable show of of not just self-awareness and self-possession but courage and i think moral courage too like i mean your your ability to impact the world it's not just your dream Patton. like to be a doctor you're not just being a doctor for you you know you're being a doctor because you want to be somebody who can help people and help heal people and help people deal with really scary moments in their life and really serious injuries I mean that makes the world a better place that you made that choice and I just I really want to affirm that and I'm glad that you I'm glad that the coaches affirmed it and I'm going to be praying that that you can feel any burden lifted off of you about the word quit you you didn't quit anything you made a decision to be who God made you to be, which is a healer, you know, and that's awesome. Being a quarterback's pretty cool, but being a healer, that's a gift from God. So I'm just, I really affirm you in that decision. Well, thank you. Those are, those are kind words. I appreciate that. You've been listening to Going Deep, Sports in the 21st Century, from the studios of Blue Ridge Public Radio, NPR for Western North Carolina. Tell us what you think of the show by emailing us at goingdeep at bpr.org. Make sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Shoops Going Deep.